This is the Kestrel Country Podcast, where we discuss the people, places, and events all around Kestrel Country. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Kestrel Country Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Church, joined as always, by my lovely wife and co-host, Catherine. Hello, hello. And uh, yeah, we're coming to you in February. Yes. February. Yep, that's exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> February, which has been super mild here on the Palouse, although we had a little bit of snow this morning. Which, which is, is basically gone now, but. Yeah, but it's it been is fun. Valentine's Day coming up. Around the corner. Yeah. There's some fun things happening for that. Okay. I'm sure a well, lot of places run us through. Yeah, so many places are going to be, be already booked, booked by the time this comes out. But. but fun ideas for the future, should you ever be needing them. Um, Thresh Catering is do a, doing kind of like a take-home meal, which oh, yeah. is a fun way to do it, especially cool. on a weeknight or if you have littles. And with other places booked up. I know Lodgepole has yeah. been booked for oh, a long yeah. time. Which is sad for us because yeah. we did not get in on that. But yeah. that's all right. Wow. <laughs> Judging me. <laughs> On the podcast for everyone to hear. Um, but Revora down in the, you know, Kennewick area. Kennewick? Yeah, I'm sorry. No, no, no. Julia. No, Julieta. Julia. I'm sorry. My brain's fuzzy today. Um, but they were doing a pairing of wine with, that you could get with a dinner, bringing in a chef too. Multi-course dinner is what it looked like. So there's some neat opportunities if you're willing to drive a little bit too. Yeah, there's always some good stuff around this time of year. Um, but Yeah. Our episode this week has nothing to do with Valentine's Day whatsoever. Um, it was me and Drew, Drew Luttrell. Is that how you say it? Yeah, we okay. clarified that on the podcast. I've been saying literal. I don't know why. Uh, maybe it sounds more Kentuckian to me. But uh, Drew talking about uh, mostly user experience design. Super interesting. I found it very, very interesting. I'm sure you will too. Uh, but yeah, talking about user experience design, um, how he does that from here um, with kind of business partners all around the country. Um, so yeah, interesting discussion with Drew Luttrell. And I guess let's just get right into it. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Drew, literal, literal, literal. Literal. Okay. Yeah. There are there are literals. There are literals. Uh, ours is literal. You're the latter. Yeah. Okay. Literal. Somehow I got that confused. I don't know. Yeah. It happens. There are uh, literals and literals and literals and literals, and you'll hear them. All four of them in Kentucky, where we're from. But yeah. So where in Kentucky are you guys from? Louisville, born and raised. Um, all of our families from Bowling Green. We've been there, you know, for forever since it's been Kentucky, pretty much. But Bowling Green, and that's north, northern, south, yeah. southern Kentucky. Yeah, okay. It's where well, it's like central Kentucky. Okay, it's, it's where uh, the big university is beside UK, but western. Okay, yeah. it's a nice town. It's tiny. I feel like I'm. There must be like everybody in the town. But oh yeah. <laughs> It's a nice little spot. Everybody's super friendly. It's like classic Southern, you know. Is there, there must be, is there Bowling Green, Ohio too? I don't know. I feel like there is. I don't trust anybody That's in what Ohio. No, I don't either. I, I hate Ohio. So we have that in common. That's yeah. good. Yeah. Michiganders um, don't like Ohio. So. Oh, man. Yeah. We hate Ohio. <laughs> it's funny. Like, I even to this day, I've lived here. I mean, I've lived in Idaho longer than I lived in Michigan, Yeah, you know, at this point. And still to this day, it's like this reaction. And people, it's like there's football rivalries, and that's right, obviously yeah, yeah. where it's manifested the most. Like people right. like, you know, Ohio State and Michigan. But it's like even just the state of Ohio, like you grew up in Michigan. It's kind of perverse, I guess, really in some ways. Like literally just hating that state. It's yeah. like, I don't know what it you is. Hate everything about it. You're like, I hate going down. Like you cross the border, and you're like, oh, this is gross down here. You know, it's attitudes like, change and everything. I don't. It's funny because I'm sure they say the same thing about Kentucky. But it's like being from Louisville. We're an hour from Cincinnati, and it's like Cincinnati has the plague. 
Like we're not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. The whole, my whole life I've been like, that's probably nonsense. But every time I go to Cincinnati, I'm like, please let me go back. <laughs> yeah. I'm ready. It's like just this visceral reaction of like, oh, I, uh, yeah. I mean, but Michigan and Ohio literally Cincinnati. fought a war. Yeah. Like they, there was a border war over Toledo. <laughs> and so there, there is some long history of it. And then the federal government, we won really because the federal government stepped in and gave Ohio Toledo, which was at the issue. Yeah. But then we got the Upper Peninsula, which is like full of copper and timber and all this stuff. Way yeah. better. They've yeah. got uh, Cedar Point. Yeah. I mean, Cedar Point's pretty <laughs> awesome. But yeah. anyway. They probably wouldn't agree with you. They'd be like, no, we won the war. So growing up in Kentucky, um, what was that like? Was it rural? Like you said Louisville, but did you yeah. grow up in a rural area? Or? No. I grew up right in right in the middle of town. Can, uh, Louisville's huge. I mean, it's a million and a half people. But I don't know. It's the only place I've ever been. It was, it was Louisville. It's Kentucky. If you get outside of town, it's, it's super rural. But it's not really southern. Hmm. Louisville is not southern. But if you go an hour east to Lexington, that's southern. Interesting. That's people sitting on the front porches drinking sweet tea and talking about horses and bourbon. Yeah. But Louisville's like Portland. Interesting. Yeah. It, it's a weird place to grow up. So like all my family was outside. <clears throat> super country, super rural. Wonderful people. Um, but I would see them occasionally. You know, I grew up like skateboarding and playing punk rock music and that kind of stuff. Yeah. That's what you do. You were the, you you were were the, the city, city boy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it is a big city. I mean, that's bigger than Detroit, where I grew up. Yeah, it's yeah, it's pretty big. It's pretty. It's funny because like being out here, <laughs> when we first got here, everybody was like, "Yeah, you can't move outside of town." I was like, "Where's outside of town?" They're like, "Anywhere longer than like five minutes away." Yeah, <laughs> it's outside of town. Where I lived in 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 Louisville, it was like a thirty minute drive to get anywhere. You know, you're just used to it. You put a podcast on or a book or something like that. It's like that's how I got through Moby Dick. I would not have read all of Moby Dick. If I didn't have a half an hour drive to work every day. Yeah. <laughs> it's the, only, the only way I got through the book. But moving out here, it's now it's like I lived on F Street. It's two minutes from everything. And now I missed that. I missed that because now I'm 15 minutes from town and it seems like forever. Yeah. You get used to it super fast. Yeah. I think that's one of the things that I, I noticed too is like I thought the same thing. Like Lewiston is so close. You know, why wouldn't people go to Costco every day? You know, right. It's like now, like we plan that trip. And yeah, it's like it's, a cross country trip. Yeah. <laughs> Although I do think it changed. Has it changed somewhat for you guys? Having you've been out there, what year and a half? Yeah. Has that changed your framework a little bit? Feeling a little bit more used to just getting the car and driving. For sure, I love it. I wouldn't. I wouldn't change it. I do. I mean, like being in town. There's so many people in town that you know, and that's that's nice. But being outside of town, it's beautiful. Like we had a moose and her two calves walking around in our yard like two days ago for a half an hour. And when we first got out there, I mean, from Kentucky, you've got whitetail. That's it. Yeah. Whitetail and coyotes. Yep. You know, and out here there's suddenly moose. When we first saw him, I was like, what? Like it blew my mind. And then now we're like, oh, there's moose in the yard again. Yeah. It's just <laughs> like an annoyance. But I walked out on our back porch and a wolf howled. Oh, really? Yeah. And Whoa. it was like the, the quintessential, you know, uh, wolf howl that you hear and every canine within miles flipped out and it was coyotes it was all the neighborhood dogs and everything lost their minds like immediately as soon as the wolf howl wow so i wouldn't i wouldn't trade that that's pretty cool yeah and have you, you guys have had bears too yeah yeah we've had mountain lion bear or oh, you sure you had mountain lion yeah that's uh, awesome yeah the bear just like leaves scat and wrecks our bird feeders so he can go away but but the rest <laughs> the rest of them are pretty cool the only thing I haven't seen is elk. Oh, yeah. I haven't seen a single elk. Everybody tells huh. me they're on the, the ridge, like the next ridge over. Okay. They just kind of skirt all the houses out that way. But that's the one thing that I, I want to see. Like having elk on my property would be pretty rad. Yeah, we have – we get elk in the spring, and then I did have them. We had them this fall. I was really hoping that we would – I had Asa set up in a ground blind up – up above our house and was hoping he would get a shot at one. I would see them pretty much every morning, but yeah. they'd just avoid. They'd kind of be up on my neighbor's property and then kind of hide in the timber. And Is it a herd of them or just a couple? Yeah, it was a whole herd. There was probably, there were probably six or seven cows and calves and then a couple of small bulls and one pretty decent bull. 
And he would the bull would like bugle every morning. Like it was super cool. That's it was awesome. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I saw a huge herd crossing 95 north of Potlatch a couple of days ago. But the only time we've seen elk out there is is standing on the side of 95, just like grazing in a field or something like that. But my my neighbor just across the way sees them all the time. Hmm. And so there's something about that ridge that they follow. But yeah. They're there. Yeah, that's cool. The cat though, that's do you guys see the mountain lion or just see tracks? Our, our neighbor got him on camera okay it was like right there that's awesome <clears throat> we've only seen the bear one time but he's he's all over all over the property and he's just a big fat boy and he eats out of people's trash cans and stuff yeah <laughs> they call him a four mile trash bear I think. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> he's like 300 some odd pounds though he's huge oh wow like yeah julie saw him walking down the road i was like he's a beast that's cool i guess you get big when you eat good every day yeah We've got them around uh, from what I can tell, but like not right at our place, but um, I've never seen them, seen them out by us. But yeah, anyway. Well, so grew up in Kentucky. Um, I know we're supposed, I think we're supposed to talk about user experience design, right? right? Yeah. Or do you even know? Do you know? (laughs) Annika set it up. So um, I love talking about anything, but you, so I grew up in Kentucky and how did you um, get into? Design. Stumbled into it. Okay. Stumbled into it. Didn't go to school for it. No, no, no. I was, uh, I was in college. was in my senior year at UK and Julie and I were already married. We found out we were having twins and I said, I need a better job than the one that I've got. Uh, so I, I was working at this place and they had an IT department and I'd, I'd always just been think, okay with computers. I built my when I was a kid and built websites on the side and that kind of stuff. And so I just told him, I went and asked the guy, I was like, Hey, I need a, a better job than this. And I'm good at it stuff. And he was like, all right, go clean that closet. And if you do that, well, I'll give you a shot. And it was like the awesome. biggest closet on the planet. And, uh, so they, they let me slip into it and I just did systems. I did everything, you know, anything they needed me to, but I kept solving I just like puzzles, you know, I've always liked complex problems. And, and so a couple came my way and then I, over time, I just kind of figured out, I was like, I love this kind of stuff, whatever this kind of stuff is, this is what I like. And then I left there after a few years to get closer to family and then got a job and I was able to actually do some design stuff. And then I just kind of like leveraged that. I was like, look at the stuff I'm doing. You should let me do more than that or more of this type of thing. And they did and just kind of created the position for me to get into it. And I was like the, the in-house, you know, design team for five or six years at a big bank. And that taught me a ton. I didn't know that hmm. it was in boot camp, but it was like a the one best man kind show. Of boot camp. Yeah. Now I'm working with like eight people. And at the time I was like, I have to do all this. I'm the only guy, you know, I got to figure hmm. all this out. And so that was fun. I, I learned a ton. And then my, my partner it built now, he and I have just been friends for a long time, you know, work out and ride bikes and all this stuff. And he kept coming to me because he went to school for graphic design and he's an incredible yeah. designer. It's just immensely talented. And we would just be hanging out and he'd be at, he'd be like talking about how somebody asked him to do product design. And he's like, I don't know how to do this stuff. Like I do billboards and, hmm. uh, and I would give him advice cause that was the world that I was in. And then finally we were like, we should just do this together like you run this side and i'll run that side you know i'll do what i'm good at and what i enjoy and then you do this and so after like eight years at the bank i switched over and been doing that for like six years now so what does product design or like web design look like at a bank you're like literally doing their website kind of thing or yeah loan origination systems oh really yeah building platforms that today i would have been like i cannot do that but at the time, I didn't know that I couldn't do it. And so you're just, <laughs> just like, yeah. Is this a small, was it like a small bank then or something? Uh, or like Farm Credit in America. So it's like a, okay. a large um, ag lender. So it's a, it's a government-sponsored ag lender. So it's like a $20 billion wow. bank, probably bigger than that now. And they were like, Drew, how about you design <laughs> our stuff? Well, UX was kind of a new thing. It's funny. It's been around for like 15, 20 years now, but it was always just design and you would find somebody that was good at designing, you know, things that look nice. And then that you'd come and be like, Hey, can you also design this loan origination system? I mean, they're, they're completely different. Hmm. You have to figure out 
who are all your users? You know, what are their goals? What are they hoping to accomplish? At a bank like that, you've got 20 different user types. They all have different goals. And then you got to find the commonality amongst all those goals and put it together in a path and a platform that makes sense to all of them. Like, that's incredibly complicated. So that's more, it's systems design. Interesting. It doesn't have anything to do with aesthetics. And that, that's what a lot of people don't get is that's really the difference. And so my, my side of the business is more about flows information architecture, systems design, that kind of stuff. Like who are the people, whether it's a website or a huge platform, like, um, like a loan origination system or something like that. It's, it's all about asking the right questions and just getting the right data together, figuring hmm. out who your people are. You know, that's user experience design. It's like, who are we actually building this product for? And then what do they need? What is, what is their goal? What are they hoping to accomplish? That's how I approach whether it's marketing or, or anything. It's like the people that you're building this for, whether you're building an app or a website or whatever it is, they have a burden that keeps them up at night. They, whether it's like a quarterly goal they have to accomplish or, you know, they have this task that it would just be fantastic if there was a solution out there for them. If you can figure out what that is and then solve that problem for them well, you're golden. Hmm. You know, and then that's truly serving them rather than like, I, I don't really get into I mean, and that's, that's not knocking it at all, but get into like trying to entertain. I, I don't kind of get that part of the world, the part of the world where people have like real, real problems that are weighing them down and then figuring out how to take that burden off of them so they can take a, a deep breath, you know, they, a sigh of relief when you present your solution to them. Hmm. That's fantastic. That's what I love doing. But that's, that's user experiences on whether it's like architecture whether it's software or whether it's whatever it is, it's thinking about that person and then what do they need or that family and what do they need? And then how do I create a system that gives them that in an intuitive and comfortable and consistent way? Hmm. So how much of it is that it seems like there's kind of the, you kind of presented like two, two steps or like two sides of it, right? It's like understanding, doing the research, getting the data, and then also figuring out like, you, I'm sure there are people who could collect all that data, have it, and still maybe like myself would be like, well, I don't know how to, I don't know how to accomplish that. I just know that there's these are the problems. Is it kind of a 50-50 type process? And do you do the first part of it yourself, or do you guys do you like outsource that and get you know surveys and collect data and that kind of stuff, or does it depend on the project? I I do all that that first pass myself. And you're okay. right. I mean, where you get into industry specific stuff, so architecture, I wouldn't know. I wouldn't know what to do, right? But the research is very similar, uh, whether you're doing software or whatever it is, because you, it's still, it's always about who are you serving, you know, and, and what do they need from you? And then you have to understand UI. Uh, you have to, there are all kinds of cognitive principles and psychological principles that you can pull into it. UI is oh, sorry, user interface. Right? Interface. So, so UX is user experience. Yeah. UI is user interface. So think of an app, right? So most people are right-handed. And so you're interacting with an app with your right hand. Your thumb swipes this way in a comfortable position, right? Hmm. And so if, yeah. if you've got a primary interaction point within an app, you don't want it to be in the top left-hand corner. Principles like that that are that are industry specific or they're specific to the the medium that you're working hmm. in. You have to understand those so that, cause you can do all the research in the world and understand what they need. But if, if the, you can't then execute in a way that's comfortable for that person, then it's all going to fall apart. So you got to blend those two things. And that's where Brian, you know, he's fantastic. That's my, my partner. He's fantastic at marketing. He just is able to intuitively design things that look amazing and communicate exactly the point that's, that needs to be communicated. He just has an intuitive skill there. Um, but that's different from designing an app and thinking about how people, like how do we people like in um, websites, if you're designing a website, people read either a Z pattern or an F pattern, right? And so like Google, you can look at the Google search results. So if you hit the first one, people are gonna read the whole line. The second one, they're gonna read two thirds of the line. The third one, they're gonna read a little bit less. Interesting. And if you get an eye tracking uh, result, if you look at like a heat map of where people's eyes are, it looks like an F, right? Hmm. And so if it's a data heavy site, it looks like an F. If it's a marketing site, it's a Z because they start in the top left and look at your logo. They go over to the nav and they come across the middle of the screen and you can have an image of a person looking at something because people always follow gazes and that gaze Whoa. points them 
to exactly where you want them to look, where the CTA, the call to action is, because that's the thing you want them to do. There's all kinds of little crazy tricks like that where you can guide people through a process and you can either use that like for good or for ill, right? <laughs> Knowing how to get people to do stuff. If you, if you really desire to serve them and then ease that burden, then you use those tricks to, to get into where they want to go, right? Rather than where you want them to go. But what are the, like those, those tricks and stuff? Was that because you're kind of self-taught, I guess, or did you end up going back to school or doing anything? Or, no, so how do you learn all that stuff? Is it from reading and, yeah. okay. Just reading. I, I just really wanted to accomplish those goals. Well, right. Cause when you talk to people, that's the, that's the thing about doing research is when you hear people's burdens and they're, they're telling you, ah, oh, this is so like farm credit, for instance, the loan origination system, we had people just doing massive amounts of work that they didn't need to do. And it was like, they were trying to get this job done. And it was like, they were pushing this boulder uphill, you know, all of them. And then I talked to, you know, 15, 20 different user types and they all had that same problem. And you just want to solve that problem for them. You know, they're, they're your friends. They're people that you've, you've grown to know over this series of conversations and you just want to like take the boulder away. And when you know how to do it, you're just like, oh man, I could solve that problem for you. Like, like this and your life would be better every day from that point on. That's awesome. That, yeah, it's great. It's super satisfying. And so knowing how to do that, I realized that it's like, okay, I can do research and all this, but there are, there are ways to lead people effectively. And when you've got, you know, this complicated system of different goals and it all has to fit within a series of screens that are limited, right? You can't, if you've got 20 users, you can't have 20 different platforms for each of those users. You have to mm. pull it all together into something yeah. that's cohesive. And that's complicated. So you got to figure out all those little tricks, you know, and you're like the guy <clears throat> out on the runway with the lights, like try, <laughs> trying to get people to where they need to go. You know, so I just read everything I could, you know, learned it all. Again, it was super helpful not knowing that I couldn't learn all that. I just kind of stumbled into it. Yeah. Not knowing that was like, Oh, you're, this isn't my area of expertise, so I shouldn't do it yeah, or whatever. He told me I had to limit my scope to huh. this one thing. Yeah. So it was useful. Yeah, that's interesting. What what was your uh, degree in? History. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Completely unrelated. <laughs> yeah, totally. That's I mean, a, it's an interesting thing. I mean, that's a good thing to hear and reinforcement of that idea that's like on-the-job training is so important and mm -hmm. how most people learn how to do you right. know, what they're doing. Very few people are in the same job track that they got their degree in. Yeah, yeah. And, it, and it sets you up with, with kind of like rigid boundaries. And then you're always trying to find the job that fits specifically within what you learned. Hmm. But if you're yeah. learning, if you can find the thing that you, you know, you're gifting, you know, what, what talents did God give you? And if you can figure that out, well, then the skills that you're learning align with your gifts. And also, if they align with your gifts, they're going to align with what you enjoy. And you're going to learn and improve so much faster if you're doing that, right? But if you come out with this, like, well, this is this collection of skills that I learned in school or whatever it is, and I'm not knocking school, but um, it's you're, you've got this tight little group, and you feel like you have to stay within it hmm. because you've got that, what is that, the um, appeal to authority. It's a logical fallacy, right, where you think, I only have authority in this one sphere, and so I'm not allowed to step out of it. And it just puts you... In a, in a tight little corner. Hmm. It's a hard place to be. There's so many people going like, I don't know how to get a job because I, I only know how to do this one thing. It's like, you're, you're a human. <laughs> yeah. That's a good point. <laughs> you know how to do so many things. I mean, it's, it's hard starting over. Like, I mean, yeah, it's hard no matter what. Like it's small, but. Well, and yeah, I mean, that's what I definitely appreciate about NSA. And I don't think I necessarily appreciated it at the time, but that idea that it was like, it almost the fact that people are like, well, you know, you can't, you can't get a job coming out of NSA because it's just a liberal arts degree or whatever. But it's like that flipping that on its head, which even, you know, way back then was, was what had already happened for me. It was like, well, I can do whatever I want. Like, yeah. I don't have to. You're qualified for it's like, like every job. I'm not going to school <laughs> just to figure this, you know, it's like yeah. I can do, do whatever I want. And, and yeah, well, it makes you flexible, right? You know how the world works and you know how to, to look at the world and discern and go like, I can fit into that space rather than having that tight little space where everybody's told you for several years that that's where you belong. If you have a liberal arts degree, if you understand the world, then you can do a thousand things. Yeah. You know? 
Well, like you said, even it's hard to change. So, but even later in career, like seeing people, it's always somewhat inspiring to me to see somebody like starting a new thing in their fifties mm-hmm. or whatever. And you're like, dang, that's pretty impressive. Yeah. You know, or even it's as funny as it might be to talk about Donald Trump. It's like, I remember hearing him recent, somewhat, maybe in the last few months at some point he was talking, yeah, somebody asked him about age and he's mentioned some friend of his who like started a new business in his eighties. And like from his 80s, like from like early 80s to like his early 90s, like made a giant fortune, you know, or whatever. He's like, come on, like, yeah, you know, ages, it depends on who you are, but yeah, you got your grandma <laughs> hey. Moseses in the world that yeah. don't get famous until they're, they're in their 70s. But I mean, the, starting a business is a skill, right? If you know how to start a business, you know how to start many businesses. Yeah. That's its own skill. And you did that. So you and you said Brian? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, Brian and I decided he, he started, he had his own thing. He never worked for anybody. He came out of school and was freelance and has always been freelance. And then we decided to come together and it's, it's been built, but built existed for a couple of years before me. And then I came in our, the original partner, Eddie, he's another incredible designer. He's a guy, he went and he's chief design officer. I think it on X for a long time. Hmm. X maps. So that was cool. But he's a, He's a fantastic designer. And then he left, and right around that time is when I came in. I left Farm Credit. But, okay. Yeah. So what do you guys – what built is the company. <clears throat> yep. What do you guys focus on mostly? Uh, so we've got two sides of the house. Brian does all marketing and graphic design, and that's that's his wheelhouse. So he, like, he does all the fun stuff. He flies up to Brooklyn and does photo shoots for Nike and, you know – he lives the good life, and then I'm, I'm the nerdy side. You're in, you're in Idaho, <laughs> in the woods, <laughs> right? I, I think you have it better, but yeah, I mean, I love it. <laughs> I'm very glad to be here rather than in Louisville. But I do app design, like I'm designing an AI app right now in a crypto trading platform, and a you know, it's like it's kind of all over the place. But anything that's product design, if I'm building like a platform, a thing that people can you know, pay a fee and use or whatever it is, or download it on their phone. That's my world. So do you guys do it? Do you work together in terms of like, we're, we're coming at this product or at this project with the design side and the user experience side together to create, or is it a little bit more of a different, like, Hey, I've got my project I'm working on, you know, like, are they two separate things or I don't know if that question makes sense, but it does for sure. So it's like, we, it's not a clear divide in the beginning. We were, we were working together and we kind of build it as like, I make things intuitive and then Brian makes them look fantastic. And so I would kind of build the blueprint, right? And he would paint across it and, and it worked really well. But as our sides grew, it's harder for him to come across and then, and then paint on my stuff or harder for me to come across and do architecture for, you know, a, a marketing page or something like that, that they're doing. So we've got this collection of uh, trusted friends that we pull in. And so now, you know, he's got his team mostly of a, of a bunch of people that help do, you know, photo shoots and 3d design and that kind of stuff. And then I've got a team that has a few things going over here and, and I've got different people painting on top of what I design now. And it's, again, it's like, as you, as you grow, you do less design. Like I wish I was designing all the time, hmm. but, but now it's, I'm doing more management and that kind of stuff. Yeah. I I like that side of it too. And it's something that I don't have like a ton of experience in. Um, And so over the last four years, it's been a lot of fun to get into that world. It's learning something new, you know? Yeah. But we, we make sure that we work, we still work together on a ton of things. How has that, how has it been, you know, speaking of being um, out here while he's in Louisville or whatever, how's that been? Being remote, have you? So you guys moved out here when? Two January fourteenth, twenty twenty. Okay, funny time to move across. The country. So four years. Yeah. So basically, when you started the company, is that or when you yeah. started there? Yeah. So you kind of always so been left. at a distance, right? It's like we were hanging out all the time, <clears throat> just as friends, and then as soon as we became business partners, I split like a month later. <laughs> I mean, we talked about it, and it was. I mean, he's. He's great. And so that necessarily wasn't out. like, oh, I'm, this transitioned all of a sudden one of us is, it was kind of always that yeah. way. Yeah. From the start, you know, and everybody's, we're so used to working remote 
it's funny. We used to fly out for pitches and that kind of stuff. Like we would, we would go out and pitch in person and hmm. nobody does that anymore. Really? Which is nice. I'd prefer not to be traveling. You know, yeah. Occasionally it's good to go out, but I don't want to be gone all the time. I got a family I really like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Plus traveling is terrible. Yeah. And doors flying off airplanes and all kinds of fun stuff, you know? Yeah. It seems like every day. That is interesting. So that you feel like that's that changes. You think that's pretty permanent? Like people have just figured out that they it's like, you know what? This doesn't need to be in person, right? Some meetings have to be, but I think it totally depends on the team and it totally depends on the business. There are some teams that really some people that really need to be side by side with people. Or they just can't, you know, function well. They can't do their job well. And so it totally depends, you know. Um it works well for me and Brian works from home. You know, he's got his own office and like our clients have no problem with it. It enables us to work, you know, with clients. Like I had a meeting this morning with a guy who's in London and then I got a bunch of clients on the East coast and you know, we're spread all over the place. And so everybody's in a cube or, you know, a little phone booth with, with their laptop or whatever it is, but it's, it's all remote, but it depends on your team. It depends on what you need. Yeah. But from like, from a client standpoint, more i guess that's what i'm saying like if you're flying out to pitch is does it seem like that's just people are fine with a zoom pitch now and with doing it i mean it seems like ever say we want you to come out guys to come in interesting yeah doesn't happen yeah and these are probably pretty are they pretty big dollar figure type of projects yeah yeah some of them like you guys are really designing their product for them and yet they might never meet you in person yeah yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> and I've got guys that I work with constantly. My buddy Matt, I work with him all the time on many projects at the same time for four years. And I've hung out with him once. Hmm. He's in South Carolina. You know, I see him all day long on Zoom and talk to him on Slack and stuff. But we all flew out to New York for something. And so he flew up and Brian flew up and we all just had kind of get together for a few days. But for the most part, you know, unless it's somebody I'm working with that's here in town, I don't, I don't see anybody. Yeah. But, I mean, it would be nice. You know, if I had my preference, I'd love to be able to go out to coffee with people that I'm working with and show them stuff in person. It's easier to do workshops. Hmm. Running a workshop from a computer is kind of weird, right? It's way better to get up and have sticky notes all over the wall and, like, be in the room with the people. That's probably the worst part. Hmm. You can do workshops, and they're fine, and you're going to get a good outcome, but it's just not nearly as, like, satisfying for you and the client. But everything else is pretty much the same. Like the research side of it and all that doesn't get hindered by not being in person. And not much. I mean, like people's body language and that kind of stuff. You know, you can watch. The whole point of research is being quiet. So you ask, you give somebody kind of a difficult thing to do. Like, I, I want you to accomplish this goal with the screen that I've designed. And you have to just sit there while they kind of go. Like, to do. <laughs> you can't, yeah, and you can't say anything. Um, and it, that's harder to gauge you know if you're sitting right next to them and they, they're like nervous and kind of going in the wrong spot and that kind of stuff it's way easier to tell hmm. but still I mean, you, can, you can get it done yeah yeah how's it been being um you know not just remote being in idaho but rural so i know like when we when you guys got your place starlink yeah. was a question like internet around here is one of those things that's like it's not like everywhere else where you just, you automatically have Zipply or, or whatever. Right. Has that all worked pretty well for you? Yeah. The first six months were weird because Starlink wasn't really up everywhere. Right. So we had to kind of scramble and, and cobble some stuff together. But after that, I had one client, that, <laughs> a guy from New York, and he was super straightforward. He's like, bro, fix your internet, man. And like, <laughs> he just was annoyed, like solve this problem. But after Starlink, came out and it was easy to get everywhere you know i haven't had a single problem yeah huh and except for the time when the amazon guy drove over it and that was, oh no that's the one time but they were fantastic i told them i was like the guy wrecked my dish what do i do and they sent a new one out like right away oh wow uh, but i felt bad for that guy like, he was he had to pull one of the austin powers like 110 point turns, you know, because he pulled too far back down that little driveway and then he just backed right over it. So, oh, no. Yeah, because you guys are up in the trees, but yeah. you were able to find a, a path enough that it hasn't hasn't been a problem. No, 
No, I, I bought a huge flagpole and put it at the top. Okay. And we're planning on taking a couple trees down. Once I do that, I'll mount it on the, on the garage. But we've got no trouble. Yeah. Yeah, that's incredible that that, that technology has has happened. Yeah. Uh, Doing what I do without it, I wouldn't be able to do it. Hmm. And it's like flawless. It never goes down. Never have any trouble with it. Yeah. It's crazy. I wouldn't have thought five years ago that that's what I'd be doing. But it was like fiber, you know, was the only way to go. Yeah. So since then, like, Starlink has actually been good enough to where you don't even feel the need for anything I different. I have any problems with it. And, you, and you're on Zoom calls. You're doing pretty intensive yeah, work I over the internet. constantly. And it's – I'm on Slack. I'm on Zoom. I'm, like, live designing and Figma with people all the time. I mean, wow. I push it. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. That was the thing. It's like we waited. I was like, I can't I can't move out into the, the boonies, you know, without Starlink or something like that, without fiber running into the house. And so we waited and waited and waited. And I, I knew it was supposed to be coming out within a couple months, and that's why I felt like it was okay to buy that house. But without it, it'd be done. And did you guys get the one that's like the permanent – because they have different models. They have one where you can roam with it. Oh, yeah, yeah. We have yeah, an RV. Permanent. You do have an RV. Yeah, because yeah, we like to take the camper back to Kentucky. And it's nice to be able to just work if I need to. Have you done that? Yeah. With the Starlink? Yeah, it's great. So we That's went to awesome. Kentucky and stayed for two weeks and then came back and we found a spot um, in Golden, Colorado. I don't know if you know that. It's where the, yeah. the Coors Factory is. Where yep. I've been there. Yeah. I've been to the Coors Factory. <laughs> so we stayed up at the top of one of those mountains. And I had the the Starlink, uh, Starlink RV thing with us, and I just worked for like a week. That's unbelievable. Great. Yeah, to sit outside at the table and just be surrounded by all that while I was working, I was like, man, I want to do this every day. Yeah, yeah. We haven't done as, that as much as we thought we would, but yeah, we ended up getting it. Um, we're currently not using it, although I might start again. It's like our internet will be bad enough that I'm like frustrated and want to just use, it, and then it'll kind of improve. And I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's. <laughs> like twice as much money as our our current internet, yeah. but uh, yeah, I don't have an option. If, if I had like a, a cheaper, pretty good option, well, ours is not like, great. Like it's it's to the point where when Michigan played the national championship game, I was like, should I just pay for a month of Starlink so that I can make sure that this game you know is not glitching on me? It ended up be working okay. I mean, it you know the uh, HD wasn't as great as it should have been, but you know it yeah. worked. But yeah, it's uh, it's not great. But we, I had the same thought. The problem with real estate is it's you know you kind of got to be there. Like mm-hmm. you can do some stuff from a distance, but it's like it's inherently physical, and you know you got to show a pe- person a house. You got to right. actually be there, and so it's harder. That is the one thing about my job that I often envy other folks like yourself, where it's like the idea, or like yeah, Isaac, you know, can be like sitting on the St. Joe River. You know, right. with his Starlink and doing his work and yeah. answering, you know, I was like, yeah, that sounds pretty awesome. Bit, just on a boat working. Yeah. That's pretty cool. It's incredible. I need to do that more, honestly. The, the fact that I can, I need to get out. We've talked about going down to Utah or something, like spending, spending a week, you know. We don't yeah. like pulling the kids out of school. That's really, when we were homeschoolers, we would just like up and go, you know. But it's worth yeah. it. It's worth the trade-off. Two weeks spring break though, you know, there's there's time to get away. Talking about it. Yeah, Utah's incredible. We did it uh well we did it two years ago and we did it last year too. Um yeah, that's that's pretty hard to beat. Mm-hmm. This year we're going to Washington DC. So we're oh, going be fun. back to the east. What are you doing? See in all DC? that stuff. Um we're gonna just do all the history stuff. So I, I'm I've been working on our itinerary, um, so it's still difficult. Um I was telling Catherine, I understand why people used to pay travel agents. So I'm like traveling, like planning a trip to the national parks, not that big a deal, right? It's like, I can figure out how long it's going to take to drive here and get a hotel there and then go, you know, but I'm like, how much time do I need at each of these museums? Like, what do we got to fit in on what day? Like it's, it's a lot. I used to love going to DC. The Metro is fantastic. You just go all over the city. I, it's been a while since I've been there. So Yeah, it, for me, it's been a long time, and our kids have never been. So we're like, we've been talking for years about it, like, you know, getting back there and doing some of it. So we're going to do yeah. Williamsburg. Have you ever been there? No. 
It's, I've always wanted to go. Well, I, do, I went as a kid, and it's it's really cool. I, hopefully, I'm not hyping it up too much from my memories, but <laughs> I think the kids will really like it. And then we're going to do DC and trying to figure out, yeah, all the – there's a few days in between of, like, where do we go? Do we hit some of the battlefields around there? Or do we try to make it all the way up to Gettysburg? Do, you know. I remember so. I went – This it's been a while, but I went because I'm a history nerd. I was a history major. And I loved it. I spent the entire day, like several days in a row, just walking everywhere, hitting the metro and seeing all the different memorials and going to the Smithsonian, going all those places. It's a blast. Yeah. Well, and that's a, our kids tend to love history too. So it's um, it's exciting for them. I think being out west, it's I like. I grew up in Michigan. You know, I don't know. It's probably somewhat similar distance where you were from DC. You were maybe a little closer. Yeah, but it's a drive. Yeah, it was a decent drive, but you could do it, right? You could do it in a long day kind of thing. And um, and all that history was relatively close, mm-hmm. you know, whereas out here it's like we have really cool Western history. There's some cool stuff like that Northwest history trip. And, yeah, but it's not the same. But it's not the same. Yeah. yeah. Back east so dense. You know, I've never been to the to the Northeast. never been to like Philly or Boston or any of those places. I've always wanted to go. But for some reason, we always go south. Like in the summer, we always go south, and we find ourselves in Florida, and it's like, <laughs> what, if, what is this? Why did we do this? Yeah, we were talking about trying to get it all, like do the do New England at the same trip, and just couldn't make it happen. No. I was like, we gotta. I really want to so focus exhausting. on DC, and yeah. even though it really it's tempting because everything is so close, you're like, it's only a few hours up there, you know. Yeah. But yeah, we're gonna basically focus on Virginia with potential. It's funny, Sophie, our 10-year-old, is the one who's most insistent on Gettysburg. She's like, we got to go see Gettysburg. Yeah, so I'm like, maybe we'll go. We'll make the four-hour trip and and go see Gettysburg. It is one of my favorite places, but it's pretty incredible. Yeah. Yeah, as I, I... I don't know if history buff is the right... Or, like, Civil War history buff is the right term, if I'm well uh, studied enough, but... Certainly geek out on it. Yeah, yeah, I love it. And and growing up, was like couldn't read enough about it. Like love the movie Gettysburg, and so I've been a few See, times. I've never seen it. I was always European history. Oh really? Ancient history and European. Okay. History. Um, but I realized I missed a huge part of it. I took a, a fantastic class that um, history of the American Wild West uh, at UK, and it made me realize I was like I need to dig into American history more, but. Yeah, for me, that's been almost all. Like, I've really, I love American history and haven't studied as much of the other stuff. Yeah. But it's, I'm actually listening to uh, Brendan O'Donnell turned me on to a podcast, History of the Americans. <laughs> Super interesting. It's kind of a, the whole idea that he pitches, the guy doing it is, um, you know, without presentism. So, kind of trying to really, you know, look at, the history of America and the people here. Presentism like like snobber here. Yeah, like look yeah, exactly. Looking at it through the lens today's current lens. And yeah. some of that is like the wokeness and all that stuff. It's like right. you know, who really were these people without, you know, putting our own lens on it. What was just yeah. the facts kind of thing. Oh, right? Jesus, yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's pretty – I mean, so I'm only a few episodes in, but pretty interesting so far and just understanding. Even just some of the – like you mentioned the West and, you know, the – honestly, stuff that I didn't, didn't realize how much of a lens I had of like the Native Americans and stuff of what you kind of – we think of them as kind of the Plains Indians. Like that's mm-hmm. the – that's what's in movies. That's what's in – like that's right. That's kind of generally what people yeah, learn about and study. Line, and right yeah. yeah. And it was like hearing about these in like insane civilizations and like large cities that they had. And there was like some, like one of the largest man-made mounds ever was somewhere. I can't remember now where it was, but it was like this ridiculously tall structure that they built surrounded by agricultural fields, like fields of maize. And yeah, like just, just crazy. There's tons of them around uh, Kentucky and Ohio. It could have been. Yeah. Ohio might have made made sense. Yeah, yeah. Uh, There's a, a lot of Cherokee, I know, in Kentucky. Kentucky and Tennessee and Ohio. And, and Ohio has tons of mounds all over. And like just right the trade networks Cincinnati. and yeah. the sophistication of all of that and just how many you, – you kind of think of it as like just vast barren wilderness with like no inhabitants anywhere. Mm-hmm. It's like at least how I kind of thought about it. Right. I was like, wow, there's it's really kind of amazing what yeah. was here. Yeah, you know. it's incredible. We went down um, 
I kind of know, I know the history of Kentucky pretty well, like the genealogy of our family and we've been in Kentucky for a long time and all that. But the thing that shocked me was going down to Mexico and spending time at Chichen Itza. Hmm. I don't know if you were no. there around it, but that, that place is absolutely incredible. Where is that in Mexico? I've never even been to Mexico. So Yucatan, um, it's by, it's like south of Cancun. We went there for our honeymoon. So this okay. was, you know, 15 years, 16 years ago. And so we, uh, we drove down there and I, because I'm a history nerd, I was like, okay, we're going to go check this place out. Julie was like, it's hot. Like this. <laughs> She's not as into it as I was. But the thing that blew my mind is one, just the, the vastness of the, the city down there. It's absolutely gigantic. So there's nine square miles that they've cleared out. And then outside of that is there was a huge city outside of it, hmm. but you get to the, the main temple, the ziggurat in, in the center of all of it. And the thing that was crazy was that if you clap your hands, if you get a huge crowd of people in front of it and you clap your hands, there's this scream, this like bird shriek that comes out. And so they, they worship the Quetzalcoatl. And so there's this, this bird that's in the jungles there. And so we get the huge crowds of people that get in front of it and clap in unison. And I don't know, like it made the hair stand up in my arms. I was like, I don't want to do that again. That's but this crazy. Sound, this bird screech comes back from the temple at you while you're standing there clapping. Whoa. And you look it up on, on YouTube. But it's nuts. And after that, I was like, all right, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> what is it called? Let's get back on the bus. Uh, Chichen Itza. Chichen Itza. It's the one you that you always see, like in Mexico, okay. the giant pyramid. Yeah, it's down there. Huh. It's wild. I'll have to check that out. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but the fact that those cities and civilizations were spread all over North America, we don't hear much about it. Yeah. It's cool. Yeah, interesting. Just getting into Columbus and, it, and yeah, the navigation and everything too just unbelievable pretty crazy yeah um yeah well i mean we kind of got far afield yeah. from user experience but <laughs> gone, down, gone down some rabbit holes yeah um yeah that's cool this is the stuff i started getting into so i'd rather talk about history anyway but design is design is fun and i love it i love doing my job every day what would you maybe we'll wrap it up this way um somebody's interested in it how would you recommend they get into it? Right. We like not go get a degree, like just start it or. Yeah, there aren't, there aren't really any good degrees as far as like UX design and product design goes. It's still a, th a thing that you could just kind of have to like get into. Do you have to know computer science or not? Like, do you, or not really? No, no. I mean, it's good. So I've kind of, I had to work with a ton of developers and I used to build websites and that kind of stuff. So I, I dabbled in it in the beginnings. It's good to have that understanding, but if you don't have it, that's okay because other people will, and you just kind of fill that gap. And I think that's important understanding that if you're good at a small thing, you don't have to be good at everything. Hmm. Just, just find a thing to focus on and get good at that. And then spread out slowly over time because you, you can always surround yourself with people that have that other knowledge. So we do it built. I mean, we, I have friends that are absolute experts in other areas. And just because I can kind of dabble in those fields, like that, why would I do that? Like if I want to serve mm. my client the best, I'm going to pull in a guy who's an expert and then I'm going to shut up and let them do what they really do well. And I'm going to stick to what I do well on that team. Right. So we build bespoke teams and pull people in and they do that job that needs to be done really, really well. Um, and we found that to be a, a great pattern. And so it, feeling like you have to come in and understand this entire like industry, you don't. Just get okay at copywriting, right? If you can tell a story, get into copywriting and then get on a team that needs a copywriter and then and then learn, right? Hmm. There's, there's tons of freelance jobs out there. It's ridiculous. So if you want to learn, focus on that one thing. Or if, if you're good, if you have a natural gifting at organization, the, the thing that I've learned about like design teams and this kind of stuff is that creatives aren't well-organized people. <laughs> there are people that love to make stuff and they, they just want to get in, but it's, they're kind of scatterbrained, right? Naturally, a ton of my good friends that are fantastic designers, they need somebody to help them stay organized. So if you have that gifting, get into it and then learn about the industry and then find, you know, find what you're good at. Every one of us is good at something, probably good at several things, right? We all have really broad gifts. And so don't think that you're you have to have this tight, narrow focus because you've shown that you're good at this one tiny thing, right? So just get into it. Find one small thing, get on a team and learn. The people coming out of NSA, I mean, they're so bright and they have flexible, sharp minds, 
right? I mean, that's kind of the point of coming out of getting a liberal, liberal arts degree is that you can look at things from different angles. Uh, you don't have just one narrow focus. And so those kinds of people are fantastic to come in a design team because they can probably get what's going on and pick up one small skill and help out and then grow. And find where their niche is kind yeah. of thing. So just get into it and be humble. You know, listen to the people that know what they're doing and learn. And then, you know, when you're given an opportunity, work real hard. It's the same thing. Like I, th- I think about that with marketing all the time. Find that person who's got a burden, figure out how to relieve them of it. And you'll have that job forever because nobody wants to pick a burden back up. Right. And so if you're a young person, you want to get into this. Hmm. Yeah. That's look a good at point. that skill you've got, find the person who's already doing it and then ask them like, what, what problems do you have every day? If I could find somebody to come in and write SOWs for me, that'd be a dream. Because <laughs> I spend hours looking at every detail on an SOW. It's like the bane of, of what I do. What's an SOW? Oh, sorry, a statement of work. It's just okay. a contract, right? So it lays out everything you're going to do in detail so that you can all point back to it and go, okay, we agreed on this. You know, Six months down the road, hmm. the details need to be somewhere. And so somebody that could come in and solve that burden for me would be somebody I would love to have on the team or there's, there's tons of them, right? So yeah. you can have coffee with somebody and sit down and go, what do you do every day? And look for the things that they have to do, but would rather not and see if they align with your skills. You've, you've got a spot. Hmm. Yeah. It's not always going to happen, right? Some people, you know, want to hold on to the money more than they want to give it to somebody else, but that all depends on the size of the burden too. Um, but that's what I would say is don't be afraid to sit down with people, reach out, say, Hey, can we have coffee and ask questions? Be curious. You know, I'll always look for somebody who's, who's sharp and hardworking and curious. That person's going to fit in in a multitude of positions. You know, yeah. You think about the world, right? <clears throat> that kind of remind you're solving the problem. Remind me, do you know, Joe Ardeezer, mm-hmm. Joe, like his product, the smart pricing table, right? It's like, yeah. He was in a design business. Now he's doing something completely different, but it's because he needed to fix a problem that he had. It's like designers to your point. It's like they hate running, they hate making the proposal and writing the proposal and, you know, and just figuring out how to help fix that problem. We've talked about it. it. It's one of those things. Ours is weird because we don't, we don't sell the same thing over and over. That's a fantastic solution for a, a niche agency. And there's tons of niche agencies out there. We're, all over the place. Um, but he's done, Joe's one of those unicorns. Like he's good at design. He's good at development. He's good at sales. He's good at, he's a, he's a one man show. Good at figuring stuff out. Yep. Yeah. <clears throat> awesome. Well, thanks Drew. Yeah. Thanks for coming in. Thank you. This was fun. Yeah. At some point, it's just like start a history podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> got to read a lot more to make that it. happen. Yeah. Read I'll be on C. You read I'll be on C. <laughs> No. Oh man. You've got to. You got to. I won't get into it, but you should you should read it. Okay. Yeah. What's it called again? Albion Seed. Albion Seed. Mm-hmm. Okay. It'll change the way that you look at, at how states are laid out and anyway. That's All a right. conversation. That sounds, we'll leave so it there. It, yeah. That sounds good. Thanks, man. Yep. Thanks for joining us. Like, share, subscribe. We'll see you next week.